Today we will again address this matter of these false teachers that are spoken about here in 2 Peter 2. False teachers who are among us. What their intentions are. Whether they were at one time saved but now have lost their salvation. Then also can false teachers and the things that they say to us cause us to lose our salvation if we follow after them. Listen to these words from 2 Peter 2, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. But there will also be false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of punishment and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. 
For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. For it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Pray that the Lord will reveal all of the truth that our hearts and minds can capture in these words. Now, here in these 22 verses of Scripture, we cannot help but see that God's anger has been kindled as He sent these words through the mouth of His servant Peter, pronouncing this scathing indictment against all those men and women who would presume to represent God, but are instead false teachers. In other places throughout these Scriptures, God seems to deal with some of the other forms of sin in at least a somewhat more generous manner. But not here. The preaching and the teaching of His Word carries with it serious requirements and serious consequences. And we're warned in James 3 to be careful in how we teach it. Listen to these words, James 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I can recall that the Lord had put on my heart to preach two years before I dared ever get into a pulpit because of this verse. I was so afraid of standing here, of giving false teaching, of twisting the truth to my own satisfaction, and to think that you might want to hear it that way. On down in James 3, God warns us about how that can take place. Our tongues seem to take on a life and a power of their own. And we begin to say things that corrupt everyone who listens. Leads them astray. Listen to these words. This is in verse 5, chapter 3 of James. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and listen, and set on fire by hell. The demonic world reaching in and getting hold of our tongues. For every kind of beast, bird, and reptile, and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You and I can't imagine ourselves becoming this kind of person, this kind of a teacher or preacher. But let me say to you, we can. And you don't have to stand up here to be a false teacher. We have all sorts of opportunities daily. 
So yes, we can become the kind of false teacher that he's talking about here in these words. And so God warns us against it. Now the unspoken implication is that when God calls us to teach and to preach, He will equip us with all that we need from the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we'll be able then to teach and to preach rightly. But the opposite is also true. That if God has not specifically called us to teach and to preach, then we will not be properly equipped. And though we may have the best of intentions and would not want to harm anyone with our teaching, without God's calling and His equipping, we are in danger of becoming a false teacher. Our tongues being misused by the evil one as he tells us there in that scripture. To say things like those things that are being spoken about here in our text. And we will surely be held accountable for every destructive word, every destructive action and, and behavior. May I say again, that this is very serious business to God. This is a direct attack upon the church. These false teachers. They're not just out there somewhere speaking on a street corner trying to convince people of what they believe. They are in the church attacking God's children. And God will not put up with that. Listen to some of God's descriptions and warnings here about these men and women who dare to be false teachers. In verse 10 he says that they are presumptuous. They are self-willed. Not the will of God. They are self-willed. Verse 12, he gets really scathing. Listen, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed. They speak evil of the things that they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. In the Psalms it says, affliction will slay the wicked. Verse 13, and they will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Those preachers help lead the marches out in the daytime, down city streets, with all these people following along with them, saying such things as the gay rights agendas. Carousing in the daytime. They don't try to hide it. Their evil is so corrupt that they're willing to be seen doing it and being glad of it. Carousing in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes. Carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. They're deceived themselves. They believe what they say. They feast with you having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Are you getting the idea that God has a problem with these people? You and I have to understand though that it's not just those out in the streets. These false teachers will be often, probably most often, well-trained men and women. And they will be trusted by you As he says here, they will feast with you. They'll take communion with you. They may even serve communion to you. 
but they are brute beasts who carouse openly in the daytime, carousing in their own deception, having eyes filled with adultery, constantly enticing unstable souls. Now some of these false teachers will come to us through all these many television and radio programs and through computer websites. They're able to stand thousands of miles away in front of a microphone but still grab hold of our attention and our hearts as we sit in our easy chair. They use words that drag us off into captivity. Verse 18, they speak great swelling words of emptiness. They allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. False teachers. Now, I do want to remind us that these false teachers are not just those people that come in from the outside or out there on the televisions. They can often be our regular preachers, our regular teachers, our Bible study leaders, raised up right within our own churches. But wherever they may come from, notice one of the special focuses that he speaks about here. One of those most used ploys is to allure us through the lusts of the flesh and through lewdness and sensuality. That's what verse 18 tells us. Those are sins that ordinary folks like you and me often don't think of ourselves being involved in. But unfortunately, they are some of the most common hidden sins. Hidden deeply within our souls. Secret sins that we actually, we never talk about, but we actually like them a little bit. Or a lot. And we really do want to find a way that we can keep them. Even though we know that they're wrong. Sins such as pornography, other secret kinds of things that we might do as we would sneak out at night. And in the more modern vernacular where we hook up with someone at a club or sports bar. Secret sins like homosexual behavior. And listen, these scriptures tell us that these false teachers are cleverly devising ways to fit all of those sinful behaviors into their theology that they're teaching and to make us be able to believe that God will permit such things. That it's okay with God if we do those things. They twist a scripture here or they twist a scripture there to make it okay for us to be involved in those things. And let me say to you, on the authority of this word, that is deceptive heresy. That's what he's calling deceptive heresy. Now next, take careful note of these next words, beginning verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, then the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered to them. Folks, those words, they involve some of the most sacred reliances that we have on these scriptures. That of our eternal salvation. That once we 
have gained it. Perhaps then questioning can we possibly lose it. Let me read those words again. Verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, then the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn from the holy commandments delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Now simply put, on the surface, these words can possibly look like salvation gained might then be salvation lost. Verse 20, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Now those first words there, they are normally ascribed to real salvation. Escaping the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Those words seem to challenge some of our doctrinal beliefs. The belief that once we have gained salvation through faith in Christ, then we're not able to lose it. Our Reformed doctrine firmly declares that to be so. That once we have truly gained salvation through faith in Christ, then we are forever saved and cannot lose it. And we use as evidence scriptures such as John 10, let me read this for you. John 10, verses 28 through 30. There Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one, and by no one he means not ourselves or anyone else, no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me, and he is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So once we are firmly within Christ's hand and in the Father's hand, no one can snatch us out of it. Another scripture proof for eternal salvation is Romans eight twenty nine through 30 For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And listen, And those whom He predestined, He also called, first step, Those whom He called, He also justified, salvation. Those whom He justified, He also glorified, heaven. From beginning to end, all of God. And then Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from them. And there are many other Scripture verses like those that give us the confidence that we really can believe that after we have received Christ as our Savior and Lord, then we are forever saved. And no effort on our own or by anyone else can cause us to lose what we've gained. But with that being said, with that being said, how do we deal with these words right here? Verse 24, If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled. Now that looks like 
salvation, have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned away from the holy commandment delivered to them. These words, while they look an awful lot like we can possibly lose the salvation that we have gained, the ultimate truth based on these scriptures that I just read and others like them, we do not save ourselves. Yes, we can utter some words where we say, Lord Jesus, come into our hearts. We can say words like, I receive you into my heart. But folks, it was only the shed blood of Christ there on the cross that saved us. It was only that blood. It was only what Christ did that saved us. So therefore, if we did not save ourselves, then neither can we cause ourselves to become unsaved. That blood-soaked hand of Christ holds us too tightly. But if that be so, and it is, What's taking place in these words? Is there possibly a contradiction taking place within these words and these other scriptures that I read? May I say to you, this is not a contradiction. There are no contradictions in these scriptures. They are the inerrant, infallible Word of God, breathed out by Him right onto these pages. This rather is one of those things that, points of scripture that It's part of the mystery that goes into this gospel. It has the appearance of inconsistency, but there is no inconsistency at all. Simply put, while salvation truly is an ongoing, lifelong, eternal process, there's also one specific, distinct point in time when an unsaved person surrenders their life to Christ and passes from death unto life, from unsaved into saved. And regrettably, regrettably, for these false prophets spoken about here, and for all of those dear souls who follow after them, and unfortunately for so many other dear souls who sit within church pews every Sunday, many of them have never truly taken that step and given their hearts to Christ. We've said it from this pulpit on several occasions that maybe only 50% of the people that sit in churches every Sunday are truly saved. They've heard the truth over and over and over again, but they've never truly taken that step across that line in salvation. And so they continue to sit Sunday after Sunday in that same church pew thinking that they have Christ as their Savior, but they do not. It's as Jesus explained to one person in a similar circumstance in Matthew 7, verse 21. Listen. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. So may we conclude by saying that many people, even the most devout of believers, will at times stumble under the influence of the teaching of false teachers. 
That's the way of our desperate hearts when we come under pressure to find some answer to some unanswerable question. But that false teacher has this appealing answer. Questions like, why does not my son or my daughter turn from their ways and surrender their hearts to Christ? Or another question like, how can my homosexual child be saved? Looking desperately for an answer. And that that false teacher has the answer. And so then, there will be times when we'll stumble along and go with them for a season and reach for and cling to some of their wrong teaching. But let me say to you, such failings will not unsave a person. We see that so often in Scripture where godly people stumble for a season, whether it be David, or Peter, others. Such failings do not unsave a person. Once we're saved, we cannot then be unsaved. And so he's speaking here then in our text using the words of Matthew 7. Those who fail eternally. He never knew them. He never knew them. They had never fully given their hearts to Christ. And so the wiles of the false prophets then led them off into eternal damnation. And so to those false prophets, those false teachers, and those who follow after them, Jesus will say, I never knew you. I never knew you. So depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Now it's time to close and I can't leave us with such words of no hope. So I'll close with words from verse 9, which are just some of the only words in this whole chapter that seem to offer hope. And there the Apostle Peter assures us that if God is able to reserve the guilty under punishment until the last days, then he tells us, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.